Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our trying God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by Brother Plater, and before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from hymn 52, verse 1. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise and worship the Lord, if you are able. As we come before God to worship his name, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, and receive God's greeting, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and sing from hymn 5, verses 1, 2, and 3.
Well, in the Old Testament, God sent prophets to his people who had a, a special office to bring the word of God to his people. And now in the New Covenant, all of those who are called Christians share this office. And so as prophets and prophetesses, let us confess God's triune, our triune God with the words of him too.
Let's now come before God in prayer and ask for his blessing over the worship service. Let us pray. Dear gracious God, we gather before you as your children. We thank you that you have become our Father for Christ's sake. And Lord, we trust that that you will indeed give us all that we need to live before you in faith and hope and in love. God, we pray that you would cause your name to be glorified by us. Help us to see your glorious character. Fill our hearts with awe and wonder at your greatness that we may praise you and worship you this afternoon. For Lord, you are an awesome God. You are holy, holy, holy as we just sang. And as your word goes forth, may your kingdom advance both within our hearts as you are making us more and more submit to you, as you are changing us, making us willingly submit to the yoke of our Savior Jesus Christ. But Lord, also may it advance in this world that that your word would sound forth from our lives and that others will join us in submitting to you. Humble us, Father, we pray also that as as we place ourselves under your word, Father, it's easy to stand above it it's easy to place ourselves over it. And so we ask that your, your word in which you reveal your good and perfect will for our lives, that you would place it and implant it deep into our hearts. Lord, often we're too proud to accept your will. Often we're too proud to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and follow our Savior. And so we pray that you would, that you would humble us. Lord, we know that you resist the proud. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so, Lord, we need your grace. We desire your grace this afternoon. And so we uh, we plead with you that you would grant us your grace through the power of your word. And we pray all this for the sake of Jesus Christ, who perfects our lives and our prayers through his precious blood. Amen. So in connection to our confessional uh, reading this afternoon, which is Lord's Day 51, we'll read two passages from Scripture. The first passage we'll read from is from the Old Testament, which is Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9, and the, the context that this passage finds itself is the covenant renewal after the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. So God had sent his people into exile. He's brought them out of exile by his mercy. And Nehemiah had led a a group of people and they've rebuilt the city. And there was, but despite all that, there was much unfaithfulness and and often uh, disillusion. And so here there's covenant renewal. God's word has been read and the feasts are celebrated. And here we have a prayer. A beautiful prayer in Nehemiah 9, and we'll read the verses 6 through, through 38. So here now the, the word of the Lord, Nehemiah 9. And Nehemiah prays, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham, Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. 
You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the peoples of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they would through the midst, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven, and you gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess." So the descendants went in and possessed the land and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities in a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies. You made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven, and according to your great mercies... You gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet 
When they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amidst, amid your great goodness that you gave them in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves and its rich yields go to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on a sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And then follows on the, the name of the Levites, the priests, and then the passage about the covenant obligations. And then now let's also turn to the New Testament. We'll turn to Matthew uh, Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. Matthew 18, uh, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant comes off the heels of the, where Christ outlines the, the whole process of kingdom discipline and, and accountability. And so this kind of follows on where you're pursuing a brother. It's speaking about the topic of forgiveness. So Matthew 18 Verses 21 through to the, the end of the, the chapter. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what, he had taken, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you not, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. In response to God's word, let us now sing from Psalm 78, verses 16, 17, 22, and 23. And in this psalm, we confess God's faithfulness despite his people's rebellion and unfaithfulness. So Psalm 78.
Well, this afternoon we continue our journey through the Lord's Prayer. And so in connection with that, we'll read a confessional reading from Lord's Day 51, where we deal with the fifth petition. So Lord's Day 51, you'll find that on page 563 of the Book of Praise. What is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. And after the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing from Psalm 86, verse 2. congregation greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the greatest blessings that we can find in this fallen world, in this broken world that we live in, is the blessing of forgiveness. Forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a beautiful thing. And every once in a while you hear these amazing stories where two people who had grievous sin committed against them, or between them, or grievous differences they are reconciled and they're forgiven. They forgive one another. It just brings to mind there's a film called The Railway Man. And it's a story about unlikely forgiveness. So it's based on the book by Eric Lomax, who was a prisoner of war in World War II, in one of the Japanese uh, prisoner of war camps. And he was there and he was building a, a railway line between Thai, it was a Thai-Burma uh, railway line. And what happened while he was in the camp, he, uh, he was falsely accused of making a radio. And so the, the secret police of the Japanese, they came in and they, they beat him and they deprived him of food and he was waterboarded, he was tortured severely. And what happens later on in the story is he, it, it moves to his experiences 30 years after the war, the war's finished, and he's dealing with the, the PTSD that come from his experiences. And he figures out that his captor was still alive. His captor, whose name was Takashi Nagasi. I probably obliterated that. But, so that was his name. And so he goes over there, he goes to this place, and he finds out that his captor was a tour guide at the very same prisoner of war camp where he was tortured so brutally. And in this powerful moment, they confront each other. And what's amazing about it is that Eric forgives this man of everything that he committed against him. And the two are, are reconciled. It's an, amazing, it's an amazing story. He actually says at one point, I cannot forget what happened, but I assure you of my wholehearted forgiveness. Because sometimes the hating just has to stop. You see, for broken sinners, sinners who sin against God and sin against each other, there is nothing sweeter in this life than forgiveness. It fills us with joy. It takes immense burdens off our backs. And we know that because we also have experienced the opposite. If you think of Psalm 32, David speaks about his experiences being unforgiven. And he says that his sin just ate away at him. That he felt the burden of God's wrath crushing him day and night. And it sapped him of all his vitality. It, it sucked the life out of him. But when he was forgiven, 
that burden just came off and he was filled with immense joy. And he, so he says, which is the very first verse, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are pardoned, whose sin is covered. And this is why Jesus teaches us in the fifth petition, as we find it in Matthew 6 verse 12, he teaches us to pray and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Because he knows that there's nothing more in the world that you and I need than forgiveness from God and also from each other. And so let's pay more attention to our Lord's teaching as it's summarized in the, in the confessions here. Under the following three, uh, theme, Christ teaches us to pray for pardon. And we'll look at our need for pardon and then God's willingness to pardon. And also finally the evidence of his pardon. So firstly then our need for pardon. Now it's very easy when we come to a topic like forgiveness to immediately think of the situations that we find ourselves in. You think of strained relationships. You think of relationships that have been severed and broken. And, and that's very understandable because it's not a subject for us, is it? It's, it's not this abstract thing. It's real. It affects all of us. It's the reason why we teach our kids to, say, to, to apologize and say, I'm sorry. Because even in their relationships, there's, there's brokenness. And affects all of us. This is what keeps us up at night. It keeps us from sleeping. It's what fills our hearts with immense, uh, immense grief and profound hurt. And so it's natural for us to, to think of, of our earthly relationships right away. But notice what our Lord Jesus does. So he teaches us to pray first, Father, God, forgive us our debts before we pray as we forgive our debtors. So before we look at our earthly relationships and the earthly struggles that we find ourselves in, Christ teaches us to look at our heavenly relationship, our relationship with our Father. Because we, before we need to be reconciled with each other, we need to be reconciled with God. There's nothing more important than that. And so Christ teaches us to pray, God, forgive us our debts. We are all, all debtors, Christ says. And it's not a small debt either. That's why we, we looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant. There Christ teaches another parable about the kingdom of heaven. And in this parable, a king comes and he's settling accounts. And the king that the disciples would have been thinking of is not, one of, not a king like King Charles, who's over a vast empire, but rather a local monarch who's over a certain territory. You could think of Herod, or you could think of uh, another king would be King Agrippa in, in Acts where there, there are kings and monarchs over a certain locale. And this king comes and he's, he's settling his accounts. And it says there in verse 24 that one of his servants who was brought before him had a debt, it says there, owed him 10,000 talents. That is a colossal sum of money. It's astronomical. Just to put it into perspective, in First Chronicles 29... We read about David's contributions to the temple. And so this is a massive empire. And David's contributions was 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver for the building of the temple. We read that in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 4. That was a huge sum of money. And if we put it in today's currency, kind of rough estimates are around almost $12 billion. This guy's debt was $12 billion. 
And we know the situation, even if someone begged, you know, a king and says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. The king and the servant both knew that that was impossible. They both knew that that would not and he could not pay that debt. And so this man's situation is utterly hopeless before this king. And you see what our Lord is doing there, he's painting a very profound picture of each and every one of us apart from Jesus Christ. Our condition before God is hopeless apart from our Savior. God hates sin. He hates it when people dishonor Him by living selfishly, by living for themselves, by dishonoring Him, by blatantly sinning against Him. And He's not going to just turn a blind eye to that. We read and uh, we confess in Lord's Day 4 that His justice demands that sins committed against the Most High Majesty of God be punished with the most severe, that is, eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. Sin demands a reckoning from a holy God. It demands, debts demand being accounted for. But like, our, like the servant in this passage, there is no way in the world that we can be freed from our debt before God. We can't bring anything to the table and say, here, I, I, look, I can pay this off. Instead, as we confess in Lord's Day 5, we daily increase our debt. Our sins just continue to rack up before God. So there's nothing from our side that we can do to restore that broken relationship that sin has created between us and God. Our debt is just too great. And it just continues to pile up. And so what this means, brothers and sisters, is that if there's any of us here this afternoon who don't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, who don't know forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ, that there is an incredible debt, there is an incredible weight that hangs over us. The curse of God on sin hangs over us. And there's no other way to be released from that, to be freed from that burden, to be freed from that debt, than by clinging to Jesus Christ. By saying, God, forgive me my debts because they are so great I cannot pay. There's nothing I can do except for cling for my, to my Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, you need pardon. You need forgiveness. But notice how Jesus is not first and foremost talking to people who don't know Christ. But he's speaking to people who do know him. He's speaking to his disciples He's speaking to people who believe in Him, who trust in Him. He's addressing children of God. So even though God's Spirit works in each and every one of us, busy, powerfully changing and shaping our lives, we still battle against sin. You still battle against sin. As the Catechism says, there is sin that still clings to us. And every time we sin, our sin is an affront to God. He hates it. it. It causes Him great displeasure to our Father. It causes Him great displeasure when He sees us be completely apathetic to Him. He, it causes Him great displeasure when we dishonor Him by not having great thoughts of God, but rather small thoughts of Him as we heard this morning. And what happens when we continue in, in unforgiven sins is that it, it hinders our very relationship with God. It hinders our fellowship with Him. 
And that is why Christ teaches us to pray, God, forgive us our debts. Because every day, or you should say not a day goes by when we do not cling to the blood of Jesus Christ for forgiveness because of our sins. And so we need pardon. And, and so we, Christ teaches us to pray, God, forgive us our debts. Do not charge us wretched sinners, any of our transgressions or the sins that still cling to us. Please, please, Father, forgive us. Brothers and sisters, do you see your need for forgiveness? Do you see the severity of sin before God? You see, it's very easy for us to be just to be okay with sin because that's life. We continue to sin and we know that we're going to continue to battle against it until our Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And so what can happen is we just get so used to that we don't fight it anymore. Do you find it in yourself that you almost have a gradation of sins? You know, you feel really guilty if you do this certain sin, but these other ones, you don't feel that, that guilty. You don't feel that they are such an affront to God. You see, that's often how we act. You know, we, we don't really worry about our conduct until it's, well, it's severe in our eyes. But every sin, is a, is, it fills God with so much displeasure. Every sin is a front to His holiness. Every sin, it, uh, every sin faces His curse. And so brothers and sisters, we cannot justify it. We cannot minimize it. We cannot even just make a deal with it because, you know, that's life. Because it destroys our relationship with God. And so Jesus says to his disciples, pray for forgiveness. Because every day you need forgiveness from God. You need pardon. Because your debt is great. And he knows you need it. So he wants us to ask for forgiveness. And the reason why he wants us to ask for the forgiveness is not only because we need it, but because God is willing. And that brings us to our second point, God's willingness to pardon. Well, I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you have ever met a stingy person or someone who has a reputation for it. If you think of what is, what is stinginess, stinginess is the exact opposite of being generous. A person who is generous loves to give, and they give freely, and, they, and it just fills them with joy to give. You know, they'll happily pay for something, or they'll happily give of their time and their energies, because they're generous, and it fills them with delight. But if you think of someone who's stingy, well, it goes against the very core of their being to give. You know, they want to hold on to everything, and so there's an element where they just withhold from you. They're not the ones who, who pull out their wallets to pay for things. Or if they do, they're very reluctant and then they'll make sure that you know about it. Well, congregation, is that the way that God forgives us? Is God stingy with his forgiveness? Is he generous or is he stingy? You see, the reason why Jesus wants us to pray for the forgiveness of sins is because God is just so willing to forgive us. God delights to forgive us. It was actually hard as I was putting this sermon together not to just bombard you with texts. 
Because if you go through the Bible, there's just verse after verse after verse of the generosity of God's heart towards sinners. We see it already in Matthew 18. So you have the servant, which pictures us and our depravity before God, and then you have the king. And what does the king do? The king forgave the servant. Verse 27, why? Because his heart was filled with compassion when he saw this servant pleading. And it was because he was merciful. Verse 33, he says there, And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's how Jesus wants to see our God. That God is a God full of mercy. Just think of when God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34. Moses says, God, please show me your glory. And God comes. And what's the self-description? How does he describe himself? He says, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Who is God? Well, this is how the psalmist answers that question in Psalm 103. Who is God? God is the one who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. God is a God who delights, as we read in Micah 7, to show mercy. Congregation, just think about that for a moment. God delights to show mercy. If, if something fills you with delight, if you're filled with delight to do something, it means that you love to do it. It means that you are just happy when you do that thing. It fills you with joy. It fills you with satisfaction. It fills your heart with warmth. Well, God delights to show mercy. He is happy to show mercy. It fills him with joy to show mercy. There is no one like him, no one like him who pardons sin and who forgives iniquity. God is merciful by nature and his mercy is just, it's just eternal. And that was one of the reasons why, congregation, we read from that beautiful prayer of Nehemiah in in chapter 9. Maybe if you just open it for a moment. In Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah is looking back over Israel's history. And as he's praying to God and recalling Israel's history, he just sees the mercy of God in full color time and time again. He says, God, your people did this, but you were full of mercy. You were full of grace. You kept going with your people. He says there, he thinks of, so God brought Israel out of Egypt He brings them through the wilderness. And what does Nehemiah says? God gave them food for their hunger. He gave them water for their thirst. His spirit worked among them, teaching them his commandments. And then he says there, but what happened when they rebelled? Verse 17, what happened when they rebelled? They refused to obey him and were not mindful of his wonders. And so they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. And then listen. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. And then even when they turned around and started worshiping an idol, 
and blaspheming God's name. What does it say? Verse 19. It says there, In you, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness, but a pillar of cloud to lead the, the pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them. You did not leave them, you did not forsake them, but you continued with them. The Israelites experienced the mercy of God from head to toe. Did you notice that? He says there, Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. God's goodness went right to their feet. He cared even for their feet. They didn't even have blisters. And then he led them to this rich land. A land where it says that they, they got fat on the goodness of God. Where they were filled with rich delight. But then what happens? Israel rebels against them and, they, and they, uh, rebels against God. And God sends people. He sends enemies to chastise his people. He sends them enemies. But what happens? They, they feel remorse for their sins and they turn to God. And what does Nehemiah say? He says again, verse, uh, verse 28. Verse 28 there, he says, But after... No, sorry, it's the verse 27. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you. And you heard from them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. See, God was merciful with Israel time and time and time again. Time and time again. Despite all their sins, Nehemiah says in this sort of summary statement, in your great mercy, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious God, merciful. God's mercy runs deeper than our sin. It ran deeper than Israel's sin. Time and time again, God forgave them. It filled them with rich delight, with great delight to forgive his people. Nehemiah knew God. And the God he knew was merciful and gracious. That was who he is, ready at all times to forgive his people. Now the question for you this afternoon is do you know that God? Is that how you know God? Do you know God to be a, a God who delights to show mercy, who loves to lavish His people with forgiveness? A God relenting from disaster. When you have sinned and it feels like God should just send a lightning bolt to consume you, how do you view God in that moment? Are you terrified to turn to Him because you just wonder whether or not his mercy is going to run dry. You know, he forgave me yesterday, but maybe I'm just going to reach the bottom of the barrel this time. Or do you pray confidently? And is your heart comforted because you know that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins? Who is God to you, brothers and sisters? Because if the God that you pray to in those moments is reluctant to give forgiveness and reluctant to pardon that is not the God of the gospel that is not the God of the Bible it's the beautiful message this afternoon is that the God of the Bible is described as the father of mercies whose mercies like himself will never die they never run dry there is no end to them 
And we see that supremely in our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, when God's people cried out to him, God sent deliverers. He sent saviors to free them from their enemies. Well, God shows his mercy for us, congregation, in sending the Savior, in sending the deliverer, Jesus Christ. It was out of the abundant mercy of his heart that he sent Jesus to experience the crushing weight of sin on the cross so that you might be pardoned, so that you might be forgiven. Christ became a man because of the mercy of God so that he could experience our life and our suffering and so he could take that on himself. Christ became a man and he lived perfectly in his ministry so that we could be forgiven and so that his perfect obedience would just cover us and cover all our sins. You see, it was because of God's willingness to reconcile the world to himself that he gave up what was dearest to him, his beloved son, to experience our debt, our curse, our sin. That's who God is. And why, brothers and sisters, did he send his son to die? Because God delights to show mercy to sinners. Because God loves to forgive sinners. To pardon people like you and me. You see, Jesus wanted his disciples to pray for forgiveness because he knew they needed forgiveness, but also because his father was willing to forgive his people. And Christ was living proof of that, as they would find out later when he was nailed to the cross for their sake. You see, brothers and sisters, it's when we understand the, the magnitude of our debt before God and his sweet forgiveness that we are moved to forgive others. See, that's what puts our earthly relationships in their proper perspective. This is why Jesus frames the parable in that way. He speaks first of that sinner's, that that, uh, servant's debt, the magnitude of the debt, and how much he'd been forgiven, because that's what makes the second part so powerful. That's what shapes the second half of the parable. It puts Peter's question into its proper perspective. I mean, you've got to love Peter's question. Like, it is, it is so honest. It says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? And notice, not forgive my neighbor or forgive my work colleague, but my brother. Jesus, how many times do I forgive the person in the pew right next to me because of the sin that they've committed against me? See, that's daily life. That's, that's real it's raw. And yet, if you look at Peter's own answer, it's not, it's not driven by a sort of a thoughts of retribution or revenge. He's actually quite generous. He says, do I forgive him as many as seven times? You see, the Pharisees of, of Jesus' day, they said that you should forgive someone three times and the fourth time, that was it. You forgive someone no more than three times. And so Peter here is quite generous. What we see is that he's, he wants to live as a child of God. He wants to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And so he says, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? I mean, my brother. And notice how Jesus moves completely away from a numeric value, from placing a number on how many times. He says there, the answer, in many ways, it reflects 
the willingness of God to forgive, the willingness of our Heavenly Father to forgive. Jesus says, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. And that last number, it occurs in Genesis 4, verse 24, where Lamech, in his haughty pride, is talking about, well, if he, uh, he avenges himself seven times, I will avenge myself 77 times. It's, it's talking about his unlimited revenge against those who sin against him. But then Jesus flips that right on its head. Right away, he puts a contrast between the children of God, those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, and those who are children of the world. The children of the world, those are the people who are happy to retaliate and to get back. You know, if you sock me in the face, well, I'm going to hit you back. And if you have a debt against me, well, then I'm going to charge you. I'm going to get every, every ounce of money, every bit of money from you. And you see that. Just think of some of the, the popular movies that are out there, the trailers. Most of the plot lines of some of them are just about revenge. One guy acting revenge over all these other people. It's about getting our own sense of justice. But Jesus says, no, that is not the way of the kingdom. That is not how a disciple of Jesus Christ lives. Rather, the children of light will delight to forgive. They will be willing to forgive as their heavenly Father forgave them. They will forgive as God forgives over and over and over again. For as the inspired Peter would later write, he says, for love covers a multitude of sins. You see, kingdom citizens are people who, are, uh, who joyfully forgive and are willing to. And why do they do that, brothers and sisters? Why? Because they serve a great king who has forgiven them far more than they could ever forgive someone else. Why do you wholeheartedly forgive? Because God has forgiven you more than you could ever forgive someone else. It's ev that's the evidence of God's grace in you. It's when you forgive as he forgives so willingly and so abundantly. You see, the parable here makes that abundantly clear. You see, it's a serious thing to be unwilling to forgive. It's a serious thing to have vengeful thoughts in your heart against your brother, to cherish hatred, to have thoughts of retribution against them. And why is it so serious? Because it doesn't make sense, congregation. That's what the parable is teaching us. It just doesn't make sense. Look at what happened with this servant. Look how much he'd been forgiven. And look how merciful the king was to forgive him. And he has this huge debt that is forgiven. And then he turns around and he throttles his, other, his fellow servant. He throttles that servant for the debt that he had. And see, Christ is not minimizing that debt. He's not saying that's insignificant. He's not saying it doesn't matter the debt that that servant owed. He, he's not saying that it's not going to be costly for the person to forgive. He's not saying that. Rather, what he's saying is that if you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have no willingness in your heart to mercifully forgive those who sinned against you, as your heavenly Father has forgiven you, then it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It means 
that possibly you don't really understand the gospel, that you don't un really understand how much you've been forgiven in our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, does God forgive you that way? Does he say you are forgiven and then harbor hatred against you? Does he say you are forgiven and then, you know, just sit there with vengeful thoughts towards you? Well, no. He forgives you abundantly and wholeheartedly. You see, when, when God's people come before him and say, God, I, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against you again. And I don't want to do this. And I confess that my deeds are so great. How does God respond? God says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sin is like scarlet, it shall be white as wool, white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be whiter than wool. God willingly forgives. And so he calls his people to be willing to forgive and wholeheartedly forgive those who sin against them. You see, forgiven people forgive others. You could put it this way. The evidence of God's forgiveness is that you give it to someone else. In congregation, many of you know that. You know that you should forgive. But the passage is asking us a different question. It's saying, are you willing to forgive? Do you want to forgive? Or do you revel in the desire for revenge? Do you desire retribution? Because if you're in that place, then it may be that one, you've lost sight of how, how you need pardon and how much you need forgiveness. Or it could be that you've lost sight of, of, of God's heart, of how willing He is to forgive you time and time again. And if that's where you are, then look at Jesus Christ. Look at the cross. Revisit it. Because there you see the justice of God and you see his hatred for sin. You see your need for pardon because that's what Christ did. He bore the, the very wrath of God. You see how much God hates sin. But then at the same time, you see his mercy and how he just abundantly pardons. Now maybe you're not in that place. Maybe you do want to forgive. And you desire to wholeheartedly forgive. And daily you struggle with, with thoughts of revenge. And you know it's wrong and you fight against that. Well, then congregation know that forgiveness is not something that you do in your own strength. You see, restoration and forgiveness, that, that beautiful restoration that you see in, in stories like Eric Lomax with his, with his captor, it doesn't come from listening to one sermon, one podcast, or, you know, one, or waking up in the morning with one personal decision. You see, the redemptive forgiveness of the gospel, that which truly restores, is a gift of grace worked in us by Christ's Spirit. You see, our catechism rightly says, as we also find evidence of this grace, it's all grace. It's the grace of God that makes you aware of your, your sin. It's the grace of God that comforts you with his mercy and with his love. And it's the grace of God that enables you to extend forgiveness to others, to those who've sinned against you. And so pray. Pray for the Spirit 
Pray and say, God, I have forgiven this person, but I'm struggling with thoughts of vengeance. I'm struggling with just the injustice of it all. But Father, I know that you are a just God. You've shown your justice in the cross. But Father, I've also, I also know how much you've given me mercy and how so often you pardon me. And so please, work in me that mercy and that gentleness to extend forgiveness to others. Because you've forgiven me so much. You see, there's, there's, there's so much more we can say on this topic, congregation, but you see that it's when we realize our great indebtedness to God, how deep our depravity is, and the abundant love of where he just bestows his mercy on us, that we are moved to forgive others, that we are moved to look past their sins and to cover their sins with love. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that, that you will be able to extend forgiveness, more forgiveness than maybe you even thought was possible. It's simply because of Christ's work in you. It's God's grace that makes unwilling hearts forgive. And the thing is not always, there won't always be full restoration here in this life. But that's what makes us look ahead to our eternal heaven and earth where there will be full restoration, where we will be with together and we'll be in fellowship with one another and there will be no sin that creates an obstruction between us. There will be no sin that creates a barrier. There will be no sin between us and God. We will just bask there in his presence, enjoying full harmony and full fellowship, knowing that all has been forgiven because of Jesus Christ and through the blood of the Lamb. And so go, congregation, through the power of the Spirit, and see God's grace to you, and see his forgiveness, and be children of your heavenly Father, and forgive as you've been forgiven. Amen. Let's now sing in response to the gospel, Psalm 86, verse 2.
Let's come before God in prayer. And also as we pray to him, we'll ask God to be with those in the, uh, the transgender and the LGBTQ community. It's Pride Month and we see it everywhere. And so let's bring it before God in prayer. Let us pray together. <clears throat> Father, there is no one in heaven and on earth like you. There is no one so forgiving. Lord, people forgive, but not like you. Lord, it is not your will that any should perish, but that all should be restored to you. You are so willing to grant mercy. You are so quick to forgive, and you forgive us over and over again. When others would walk away from us, when people would reject us and lose their patience with us, you are different. You do not hold on to your anger forever because you delight to give forgiveness and you delight to relent from disaster. And we have living proof of this in our Savior Jesus Christ who came willingly to bear the brunt of our sin and our debt and whose blood was poured out so that we might receive your abundant mercy. And thank you, Father, for this. Thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you that this is truly who you are. And so we pray that you would help us to reflect your delight to forgive. May it be our glory to cover over the transgressions of others with love. For this is what you have done for us. And Lord, we know that we we struggle to do this. It's not easy. It's very hard. Because Lord, sin hurts. And its effects sometimes are very profound. And Lord, keep our hearts from going, growing cold to one another. And if we are unwilling, impress upon us the magnitude of our debt and the greatness of your mercy. Show us the gospel again and again. And Lord, when we pray to you, asking for your spirit to free us from thoughts of vengeance and, and from the desire to shun and the temptation to hold a grudge, please hear us for Christ's sake. Lord, we desire to wholeheartedly forgive as you have forgiven us. And so help us in this. Lord, you have also told us to pray for all men. And so we bring before you the needs of our broader community. We think particularly of the LGBTQ community and the transgender community. Lord, it's, it grieves us to see how they promote sexual sin with pride. Lord, it's Pride Month. We see the colors of their pride in advertising at university campuses and sporting venues in large corporations. Lord, we, we see it everywhere. And Father, we pray that you would be merciful on them. Lord, it doesn't matter what sin it is. We know that all sin is destructive because it warps your good and beautiful intentions for our lives. And that ultimately it will create destruction and it will wreak havoc. And Lord, we want them to experience the beautiful life that you intend for us. And so we pray that you would have mercy on them. And help us to be a light shining in the darkness. Give us wisdom to speak truth boldly, but also gently. Grant us an opening for the gospel in these communities. That, we may experience true, that they may experience true love. Lasting and unconditional love. The only love, which is the unquenchable love of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray also for those who may be struggling with this in our midst or in our broader communities, who struggle with their sexual identity, who have questions about the beauty of your intentions for sexuality. 
Lord, we ask that you would give them clarity in a world full of confusion, that you would give them truth where there are lies, and that you would give them redemption where there is slavery. Father, place good people in our lives, people who display your character, people who can speak into our lives the truth. Keep us from self-righteousness, keep us from pride, and help us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart, even these people as well. For Lord, they need your mercy just as much as we need your mercy. And so we pray for our broader community and we, uh, we give them to you. And we ask that you would watch over them and that ultimately your gospel would go forth. Father, we pray too in this connection for the, the Australian Reformed Theological Seminary. This is something that's in the works and it's been, uh, been planned for, for some time. And Lord, we know that man plans his ways, but you ultimately direct our steps. And so we pray that you would bless our offerings, which are for this. We pray that this would contribute to the proclamation of the gospel in this country, for we know that Australia needs the gospel. There are so many lies. There is so much worldliness. It's a place that needs the gospel. And so we pray that you would, uh, you would bless the plans to create a place where men can be trained uh, for the go- uh, to teach the gospel and to preach the gospel and to live out the gospel before others. So, Father, receive our offerings, and we ask that you would continue to bless us in the rest of this uh, worship day. We pray that you would fill our hearts with joy and delight as we enjoy fellowship with our families and with others in, in our community. And we ask that you would ultimately give us rest so that we're refreshed, ready to live as your disciples uh, before you. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your thank offerings to God. And as was mentioned, the, the request is for your offering is for the Australian Reformed Theological Seminary. And then afterwards, we'll sing from Psalm 7. I think that should be hymn 77, verses 1 through 3. Hymn 77.
Receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.